listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And we have a great show today. This gentleman, and he's been on so many soap operas, but he was also on It's it's Gary Shandling's show, which is a show I loved. And he was he was on Twin Peaks, and he has a big event coming up uh, this Friday, I believe, at in Burbank. And November 16th and 17th, I think, he's going to be playing, he's going to be at Uncle Vinny's in Point Pleasant, which is about an hour away from me. And in fact, I'm going to be down at that shore next week, and I'm going to be down in Asbury Park, which is next to it. And my guest is Ian Buchanan. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. Thank you, Steve. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. So uh, tell me about Friday. It's the blast from the past. It's uh, bold and the beautiful <laughs> and the young and the restless. What is it? Because I saw your post about it, and people are flying in, and it looks like a really fun event. Yeah, it's uh, yes, it is fun. They they just had the uh, general hospital one this past weekend. Uh, I think they call it past cast. Uh, the bold and beautiful and wine are combined, and they do their kind of. It's kind of interesting. It's all people that were sort of like fairly front and center of the show for years, and. Uh, that fans still remember and they like to see and they do come in they come in for all weekend of i think there's the there's the uh i i'm, I'm calling it cast cast and furious on friday and then saturday is the main event for i think y&r or bnb and then sunday's the main event for the other shows so it's a whole weekend so people fly in and they they have a great time i they're, and they're great fun to do and uh i haven't done them for a while of course because we had covid and um, everything else got in the way, so it's going to be quite nice. To, I haven't done anything like this for probably three or four years, so I'm kind of excited. How to... crazy are the fans? Because I've had Teo Pangolis on twice, and every time he comes on and I tweet about it, his fans go nuts. They're like the nicest fans. And with soap opera, you people have the best fans. I mean, you must be just adored when you're at these shows. Um. <laughs> well, I, yes. I mean, it's uh, well. The fact that after all these years, I kind of know each and every one of them, which makes it kind of a you know, uh, there's a very solid uh, fan base for soap operas, and and you know, a lot of them are families, like multi, you know, sometimes three generations of families who've all you know come up watching. Uh, soap operas, so they're kind of they're really they're great. I mean, there's you know obviously there's not enough time for everybody to get everything that they would like to get, but that's always the case. It's just the way it is with everything. So now, now what's with the uncle? I, I, I hear that at home too. So it's like no, I go. <laughs> so it's not a. It's it's all the same. So. Well, okay, so and tell me about the Uncle Vinny's. Now, do you guys get up and do stand up, or do you tell stories, or because that's the no, we don't. It's they. It's kind of interesting because they're all. It's all depends on the mix of people and. Uh, um, it kind of just sort of becomes like a great like just you know we, I think we're doing four that weekend the seventeenth and the eighteenth, and uh, Kathleen Gotti, who's great fun and great energy. And uh, the one other girl I don't know, but Mark, I do know. And we just kind of you know, bounce off each other. I, uh, the last time I did a whole go-around of them, there was a lovely Jacqueline Zima and, and uh, Emma Sands and Tristan and uh, Ken Schreiner. And it's, it's, it's kind of fun. They, I think they called that the 
legends and <laughs> uh, they're not calling this the legends I'm not sure what they're calling it but no we don't do stand up but it just ends up being kind of you know you start just telling stories that people maybe have heard before want to hear again or just you know on set stuff that people love to hear so it's always and it's 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 always great fun so I'm actually uh, very much looking forward to that having not done anything Friday, of course, I'll get my feet wet, and then come November, hopefully, I'll be, I'll get my feet cold because I'll be not in California and be on the East Coast. But I'm sort of, uh, I'm excited to see everybody, and I know I'll probably know most people there, so it'll be lovely. It'll be really quite nice. Now, you've had a very successful acting career. As a kid, did you always want to act? I mean, what was your path to becoming an actor? Because a lot of us have imaginations when you're younger. Anyone who is in the creative field, we have imaginations, you know, things like that. But when did you right. start with the idea that you could act? <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I think um, a lot of my I, motivation was just I didn't want to be stuck where I was, I think, with no offense to the people I was surrounded by. But I knew there was a big world out there and there was other things to do. And I never thought acting was the way to do it, but I knew it would involve probably something that would involve, you know, traveling. And and uh, I initially got to do that by modeling and being able to, you know, live and work all over the world, which was a great opportunity. And that kind of led, in, you know, into acting. Um, but I wasn't really, I wasn't sort of motivated to be, I'm an actor. I think, um, I think, I yeah, I always had a great imagination, but I never, I, I, I never, that was never my, my, my ambition. That something that came up and I liked it and then I became fairly good at it. And then I, then I kind of relaxed into it and really enjoyed it and, you know, have enjoyed 40 years of it or over 40 years of it. So, but I, I, I never, as a kid, said, "Oh, I want to be like a, I want to be on." Te we didn't have television, so I never said, "I want to be on television," because that would never, that wasn't a realm of, or would never enter my mind. So, um, so it was just kind of an evolution. Things just progressed, and you know, and so that's how. How did you get into modeling? Because I always think like modeling's like the coolest job. You know, you, you you sit there, they fly around. You guys always dress great. I mean, that's one thing I noticed, you know, on Facebook. You're one of those guys that you're just dapper. You look good. Like, you wear a nice suit, and you look good. I wear a nice suit, and I look slumpy. You know? <laughs> but you, I mean, you could have, like, a burlap bag, and you'd be looking, you know, spelt. But so how did you get into modeling? Did they just someone say to you, man, this guy is very handsome. We want to put you in on, on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was young, and I was in, lived in Scotland, but I had gone to Spain. And was on vacation and then decided to go back to Spain and spend a longer time. And while I was there, somebody approached me and said, could, could we take some photographs? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And they did. And then I started working. So that's sort of, I, yeah, that, that's how that began. So. so so, you end up, what gets you over to the States? When, what brings you Eileen over to Ford. Okay, so Eileen Ford, the biggest agency, you know, it's like, you know, it's not like you're coming over to say, hey, you know, I'm here to maybe get a job waiting tables to like, till I get an audition. So Eileen Ford contacts you and says, hey, Ian, 
Come on over. Come, come, over, come uh, over. Joe uh, Joey Hunter, who was one of the partners at Ford Models, was in London doing a, I guess what they call it, talent scouting, and he had an open call, and I, I, I had had the idea that I wanted to come to the states, and I thought, well, I'll go meet Joey, and you know that I wasn't six feet two, and I wasn't um, kind of really what I think their idea of uh, you know a kind of New York male model was, but. When I went to meet Joey, he said, "You know, I think, yeah, we can. We'll, we would like to have you." And he, they arranged it. They arranged my uh, first uh, work visa, and uh, they brought me over. And I, uh, I, I used to always joke, which she hated, but I'd always say Eileen Ford brought me over on the Mayflower. But uh, she didn't like that. And after a while, she asked me not to say that because I think the first time I said it was on. When it was Regis and Kathy Lee, and of course Eileen was like very upset by that. I was like, okay, but then I did say it again on a nighttime talk show, and then I got another message from somebody at Ford saying, "Mrs. Ford says, please do not say." <laughs> so, but she's no longer with us, so now I say it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're modeling away, and you're you're you know you get with the Ford agency. Where do you first reside in New York? And was it your first time to New York when you came to visit? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, I'd been to California. I'd come here to work doing catalog uh, that I had never been to New York. And it was 1980. And I literally relocated to New York and started work almost immediately. And But then sort of, I don't know, I, don't know. I just, uh, New York, like Lee Strasberg, Actor's studio, I, I got this kind of a sort of notion to check things out, and I did. And I started, I went to the uh, Strasbourg to the Institute, and Lee was still a, a, around then. It was very exciting. And I liked it. I, I, I really liked it. But, uh, you know, my agents at the, the Fords were like, well, you know, you can't, like, you, you're modeling, you have stuff lined up. And, but then my one agent, who was very supportive, she left and started her own agency, took me with her, and she encouraged me. She actually found uh, my first manager, who was Jeremy Ritzer, who kind of signed me. And he was a big casting person, but he signed me to his management company. And I got to, I studied at Strasbourg, and then as a foreign student, got to audit the actor's studio, but then got to work there. And that was just very exciting. And so by 84, I started working as an actor, 85 mostly. And then from there, was moved out here to do General Hospital in 86. So it all sort of, it seemed like it didn't happen very quickly, but it happened very, very quickly. So well, you, you, so you come from modeling, you're taking the Strasbourg, you're taking acting classes. Yes. So what is it like for you, and if you remember, the first time you're on a set? Because it's different. There's marks. You know, you have to hit your mark. And as an actor, you probably used to be in class. And I know some people sit there and they go, wait a second. All of a sudden, there's a camera here. There's a camera here. There's yeah. background walking back and forth. And you're used to, you know, taking acting class or if you did theater. What was Do you remember your first day on set? And were you terrified or were you just excited? Or what was it like? Uh, I was, I think it was probably, I, I have this capacity to, I think, go into shock, but it appears like I'm totally in control. Not freaking out, not in the slightest bit perturbed. 
by anything. So the first, well, you know, of course, you know, acting class, especially a method, is very self-indulgent. And you don't do anything until you truly feel like it. Well, that's, you don't get to do that on a set unless you're like a major movie star. Even then, I'm not quite sure how much they get to do that. But uh, first time on set was, I got to, uh, they, uh, they had moved me and moved me out, relocated me, as they say, for the network had relocated me one week earlier. So I would have the chance to go and observe at uh, General Hospital and to just watch how they did things. And of course, every day I would get there to observe quietly, but every day they'd hand me like a pile of scripts. They'd be like, and suddenly by my last week of observing, I had like 20 scripts for the following week or for the following two weeks. So then my, it was just all, I was all consumed just, you know, reading them and memorizing them and trying to kind of just get a, a grasp on it. But first day on set, I think I was very fortunate because I was working with Fanola, who uh, I immediately uh, got on, Fanola Hughes, who plays Anna Devane, immediately got on very well with them. Uh, and it, but it was the nurses' ball, so it was the entire cast. It was you know all the great you know the great general hospital cast all there, and and she and I were kind of the focus of the nurses' ball because it was our coming together. And but everybody was very supportive. I don't think I kind of started to freak out maybe until it got down to the nitty gritty of uh, memorizing, you know, like. 40 pages, going home at night and memorizing, getting up at six o'clock in the morning and going to the studio and just, you know, uh, rehearsing and trying, you know, memorizing dialogue. And um, it got a little overwhelming and then it just be suddenly just became sort of routine, which was, you know, the best part. That was the best. But it was all it was it was hectic. The whole thing was pretty crazy. But uh it, I definitely, uh, I, I don't think I could step into it now at this point in my life because it's just too. It's 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 it requires a lot of energy, a lot of stamina, a lot of patience, um, and I was very fortunate. People were very supportive, and I, I learned to be supportive of of other people who were, you know, coming in and starting, and you know, just because there's nothing worse than a frozen actor, so. Is, is there a secret you had to memorizing? Because that's what I always think. You know, soap opera actors, they, like you said, every day it's new. It's not like, okay, table read. Okay, we're going to do the table read. Then you come back. We're going to rehearse in front of the live audience. We're going to tape right. on Friday. Or it's a lot different now where people don't even have to know the lines because with digital, they can just sit there and say it and say it and everything comes together. But for you and any soap actor, you have so much shit to learn. Like, it's not like... You know, when you're in college, you don't have to memorize that stuff. Did you start, like, making mental things inside your head or tricks to remember stuff? Well, it's, it, it definitely is a muscle. I mean, it, and photographic memory is a muscle, but there are there are tricks. I think, um, you know, there's little mnemonic tags, as they say, that you kind of, you know, if you have a speech and you sort of, there's maybe four words begin with, P, so you just sort of focus on the P words, and then you kind of it takes the pressure off, and you, and 
it all, all depends on the writing. You know, the writing is, is, is it's sort of good writing and, and kind of good story is actually a lot easier to memorize because it's, it's easier just to, to, to live it and to make it kind of as honest as possible. And, and uh, bad writing, on the other hand, it's <laughs> very hard to, to, to memorize because as soon as you read it, you want to forget it. You don't want to be any part of it. And you, but you don't get to kind of, you know, that's the, yeah, the, you know, the classic, like, you know, actor thing. Who wrote this shit? And it's like, well, <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. You're on General, and uh, of course, everyone back then watched soap operas. I mean, when I was in college, we watched all the soaps. I mean, there was a, there was a th time that everybody, like, in your dorm when you'd off time, you know, oh, Luke and oh. Laura, or Days of Bo Brady and Kim, all those things. So, are you suddenly now getting recognized on the street? Because, you know, General Hospital is one of the most popular soaps ever. Do people sit there and go, oh, there's Duke Lavery. Oh, or, I mean, what does it change your life when it, you start being seen that much? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I can't remember then. I think there might have been like a three or four week period between uh, taping and airing. But uh, we shot like from the beginning had started doing like a lot of magazines, sub magazine covers uh, with uh, Fanola and I together. So they did like, it was a huge, not only was it airing, but it was on, you know, kind of a, a, in supermarkets at all the checkouts for these covers. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty instantaneous and it was, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had a couple of like instances of what are these people, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? <laughs> what can I do for you? Like, stop it. Like, I, like, so it sort of was a shift, an adjustment. So uh, there was a lot of uh, baseball caps and sunglasses, which I'd never really worn either of. So, but then obviously as soon as I spoke or people would like, oh my God, like you're Duke Lavery. And I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, but then it was, it ceased being, you know, the path of least resistance for me, I think. I just sort of embraced it and it just became part of my life and has been part of my life. It's nice not to be on television, I have to say, because people sort of look at me and think, maybe, do you work at Home Depot? Right. Or, I, well, are you, you work at Trader Joe's? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's it. I got to ask you this because I don't get a chance to ask a lot of people this, but what is it like when you see yourself on a magazine? I mean, not when you model, but when you're seeing yourself on a soap opera, like you're just sitting there, hey, you know, you're picking up cantaloupe. And all of a sudden you look over and you go, oh, yeah. holy shit, what, is, what was your first reaction when that first happened? Because you probably saw your modeling. And it's different when you're modeling because there's not the attention. It's not saying Ian Buchanan is Duke Lavery. But what is it like that first time? It must freak you out. Like you're just sitting there, you know, getting something and you go, oh, well, God, there's well, me. Yeah, it's kind of conflicting impulses. The first is to kind of look at it and just ignore it. And the second is to pick it up and see what it says inside or what the photographs are like inside. And then, I don't think I ever bought one. It was like so funny. I just couldn't like the idea of like actually sort of picking it up, putting it in the shopping basket or whatever, and buying it. So I never did, but, you know, at the studio, they would arrive like uh, 
the magazines would arrive. So we'd have them, we'd get them there. But actually, yeah, seeing them at the supermarket, I, I think I was sort of a little oddly detached, maybe. I mean, I, yeah, oddly detached only because I didn't want to appear to be. But, oh, my God, it's me. Hey, folks, look, 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 look at this. Like, not just one, not two, there's three. Oh, wow, wow. Like, because that would be disastrous. For me, it would be disastrous. So I would tend to just not pay attention. I would kind of side glance and see it and and and, and then know I'd get to see it in the studio the following day or whenever the next time I was there. So, so you're, having, you're having this good career. Now, how does... It's Gary Shandling show come about because once again that was they they broke down the third screen that was a very him and Alan Zweibel were very that was a cutting edge show I mean the 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 yeah. opening tune was sort of a it's my show but that's all part of it but how did yeah, that... no, I mean, even if I think about that tune it just starts some starts some in my in my head and just plays and plays <laughs> and so how did that come about what, what how did you go about you know you were in soaps getting and then onto it's Gary Shandling. Show. Well, he was. On, we were on the same lot. In fact, uh, Sunset Gar. He was on two stages away, and uh, I met, met him just in transit. Like, and he asked if I. He said, "I do do comedy." I said, "I, I don't know." I yeah, I guess. And he they asked me to go to a table read a couple of days later, and they had this character called Ian McPfeiffer, I think. Gary's next door neighbor and best friend, and the, after the table read, they kind of I I, I don't even think it was an an, an audition, but uh, then I got booked. But then it was all about scheduling, so I do General Hospital in the morning, and then run next door and do Gary in the do the you know the blocking or the run through in the afternoon, then go back and finish General Hospital in the evening. But come Monday and Tuesday evenings, I think I think. Gary, we taped on maybe a Tuesday, and we did two shows, but I had to be there the whole day for, you know, dress rehearsal and stuff. So it just became, I was doing both at the same time, and only because of the proximity, uh, the convenience of it, it just, it kind of worked. And then they even, they, Gary, there was a story where Gary's mom, like, had said, told Gary she was sure his friend Ian was on her favorite soap opera, and Gary said, and, no, that's, he could never be. Like, he's like, you know, he's, he's like stupid. Like, have you, you, and she goes, no, seriously. And they, and so they, they rented or they took over the General Hospital soundstage and came and shot like part of Gary Shandling. They're like using a lot of, you know, my, the Duke's like General Hospital friends. And uh, it was very, it was a very, it was a funny crossover. It was actually, uh, Funny, it was kind of a little like it was highly entertaining for me, but uh, it, it, it was funny. We, 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 yeah, I loved doing that, it was great fun. Was the, I mean, it got time scheduling a little bit like crazy for General Hospital had a big, you know, they had a wedding or they had a big, you know, event, so we'd be there from seven in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, and I had to basically escape part of the day and run over and do whatever I had to do at Shadling and then run back. So and often a general hospital stage manager would come running down through the Sunset Guard studio lot and come to the Shandling stage and come in and find me and say, you have to come back, you have to come back. And I'd have to leave and like, so it was kind of, but it was madness and great fun. And 
Did did you acclimate to doing comedy well? I mean, was it easy? Because as you said, soap opera, it's it's you're learning lines upon lines. On this, Gary's the star, but it's but it's you know it's a it's a funny show. So did you yeah. did the timing come naturally to do you think, or did you have to sit there and study it a little bit before you said, okay, I really feel confident delivering these these lines? No, uh, I no, I kind of was pretty. Gary was very generous he, and, of course, very funny. And he uh, he taught me, he actually taught me a lot about comedy. And I, uh, only just by, you know, watching it and just being around him. But, um, yeah, I got to improvise stuff, especially, you know, with his encouragement. And, uh, you know, he had... An expression which I'm not sure can I use it. Oh, yeah. Cuss can I use yeah. Yeah, are we uh, where he'd say, you know, he always would say, would whisper to me if I had done something, and then they'd say, Okay, we're gonna do it again, and he'd say, Don't fuck with funny. Just don't fuck with it. Like, you know, it's like just don't or don't blow it. Just like so I I learned that, which was kind of a and he had a little sort of pride, like sort of eye signals and stuff like don't blow the joke we're going to do this again hang on don't don't uh like like we're we're, we're going to go again so don't sh- quite like save it for the audience don't let the audience like like hear it so um you know at one point he was encouraging me to go out and do stand up and i was like you know i just couldn't i i the one time I did, I, I hosted improv at the improv or whatever, and it was <laughs> it wasn't funny. It wasn't written. And no offense to the person who wrote it, because he's actually a very successful comedian. But even when I see him, not recently, but of last, he'd say, "You never thought my writing was funny." Then I said, "Well, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. I died. I died. I could have like." And I made the mistake of commenting on how unfunny it was just by basically, I don't know why I'm doing it, it's so not funny, which was, you know, it's the worst thing to do. So, um, so we- I, 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 I never had the stomach or the heart to do stand up. So, well, you know, it's funny. I just, you know, you look in this certain time frame of your life. Where you're on, gen- you know, you're on general, and then it's Gary Shelley. Then Twin Peaks comes along. Like that's that's like the biggest. That's like the three most far away shows ever. Like for an actor, you it's you know you have chops because you get it. How did Twin Peaks come about? Because that was that was a show that took off, but people didn't know. Like back then, people, you know, people were still conservative, but the viewers were like, "What? What? The girls rapping a cherry." With her tongue, we, we don't, you know, we don't. I, who's Laura Palmer? You know, it's still like that Midwest. No offense to the Midwest, but it's still that Midwestern mentality. Like, what? The, what the hell is that? What, how did yeah. Twin Peaks come along? Um, I, I, yeah, I it was something. I, I wasn't aware of uh, Twin Peaks really. The fuss around it, but I got. Uh, I was doing a pilot, shooting a pilot, and. We were shooting it for a week. It was another comedy, and I was doing it with Alice, Alice, the girl from Moonlight, and Alice, like Alice like, Beasley. Last, Alice Beasley, yes. I was I was doing this pilot with Alice Beasley, which was kind of fun, but it was like kind of long hours. And uh, I got a 
you know, I don't think we had cell phones then. I can't remember how we communicated with people. But I got a call on the Thursday saying, or a message on the Thursday saying I'd been booked for the weekend to do a Calvin Klein obsession campaign, not just me, with other people. But I was booked to do it with Lara Flynn Boyle, and it was being directed by David Lynch. So I kind of like worked until super late on the Friday, finishing the pilot, and got up on the Saturday and went off. And I sort of we shot. I think I only, I don't think they worked Saturday, Sunday. I worked only Saturday with Lara Flynn. And uh, David directed it, and he kind of, I met him, and it, it was, was a very nice experience. And he sort of asked if, not if I knew Twin Peaks, but he kind of said, like, I got a character, you'd make a really good dick. And I said, well, I, I don't know what that means. And he was like, well, I, we should maybe come, you should come see me on Tuesday. And I was like, okay. Like, so I went to see him, <laughs> went to Joanna Ray, who became a very dear friend of mine, who cast Twin Peaks. And she'd also cast the commercial, which was sort of, you know, not very nice. And I uh, went to meet him on the Tuesday and they gave me a script. There are three pages, four pages because nobody ever got a full script. And I, I read the script and they were like, great. Like, you know, would you, can, we'll get you on board. So I, I think I started within the week and did uh, Twin Peaks, so, which uh, all my friends were way more excited than I was because they'd already been watching it. We're huge fans. And they thought it was the best thing in the world that, you know, like, like you said, like, oh my God, it's like Shandling, Twin Peaks, like, oh, but like, so it was, it was, in, it was a great experience. I absolutely loved it. I loved it. I loved the, I loved working with David. I loved working with Kimmy Roberts and wonderful Harry Goes and both still friends of mine. And uh, all the guest directors were great. Leslie, Linka Gladder, just these wonderful rotating people, same crew, but rotating, you know, wonderful directors who all went on to David gave them all, you know, opportunities as he did with, you know, a lot of the cast, not all the cast, because a lot of the cast had been major stars in the fifties and sixties and seventies. So it was a combination of brand new people and all these great, like vintage people. So it was a great, you know, the wonderful Piper Laurie. And, uh, it was great. I just, I, I, I had the best time every single day was just like like fun from beginning to end so and the great wonderful david landers um squiggy from <laughs> laverne and shirley uh he and i got to do like a lot of stuff together and we've done three shows together which is just amazing i was going to ask you I, when i looked through your imdb i have never heard of on the air but that was a pilot that, that was seven have. episodes <laughs> but it's funny though because you, you you think frost created it with david lynch okay so but, they're known people. So what happened to that show? Like, was that just something that they, they told you to come on? Because, I, uh, I mean, what was the show about? Well, uh, I, I was doing, uh, Miguel Ferrer was doing Twin Peaks, the wonderful Miguel Ferrer. And uh, David created, created this pilot for Miguel and I, which was a great honor and great opportunity. And it was a 50s live uh, television variety show. And it starred a washed up uh, UK actor who'd like come to the States and kind of hadn't made it, like had been 
basically kicked out of Hollywood, and this, you know, um, ZBC network, (laughs) Zablotnik, decided he he was the best thing in the world and wanted to, you know, do this variety show around him. So that's what it was about on the air. And the, the premise was the first, it was, I think it was, each episode was 28 minutes, maybe. But the first uh, the first half of the show was a, all the, you know, the rehearsal and the prep, you know, the table read and the introduction of the guest stars who something were just amazing. And then the whole, like, you know, dress rehearsal. And then the second half was when it went live on the air. And, of course, all hell break loose and, you know, shit would hit the fan and it just would be chaotic. And the little show became a huge success because it was awful. Of course, behind the scenes, uh, there were things going on between peaks winding down and there were kind of network politics and personality clashes. So all of that was playing out like as we were, you know, in our own little bubble of on the air, which we love Nancy Ferguson, Miguel, you know, the, the joke was you should not have so much fun because it never it never will go too well. And we all had so much fun. We loved it. Couldn't wait to go to work and worked like very hard. And um, <laughs> not, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I, I'm not sure how many episodes aired. I think three maybe. And there were six nobody had ever seen. And then people got to see them. And in Japan, they were released on that big disc, that whatever that Blu-ray or whatever it was called. And they became huge hit in Japan and other places and a big cult favorite, but not many people have seen them. And they're, they're funny. I mean, I've seen most of them and they're really, they held up pretty well. Uh, a lot of great character uh, people and um, it was great fun. I loved it. Great, great fun. So now, whenever I see David, he, he actually, because, you know, he would only ever call me Dick, which he died. He, he, refers to people by their character name so i got to that uh, on the air i played lester guy so anytime i've seen him he always calls me lester which is much better than having this person yell across the room Dick! Yeah. so i lester is like what okay you've been on so many soaps now you, you, you were on the bold and beautiful for over 570 episodes where was that chronologically in your career because whenever you want to try to do research you can never tell because you were on you were off because people come on shows when where in was was bold and beautiful your second was that like after your yeah original uh original gh Uh, yeah i i um i was on general hospital uh initially 86 through 89 now why'd you leave is it just? Um, I I think my management only sort of felt I should be on a soap for three years. I'm so. I mean, I, I and I got an offer to go to England to do the first revival of the play The Heiress, which had been a play and a movie, and um, also I had Shandling to come back to the states. The, after so I left went to went to England did the play for the summer came back did Shandling did a little bit of General Hospital then I think I did like a Columbo or and then Twin Peaks and that sort of took me into early 90s 
and then I guested on probably every television show, The Nanny, The uh, uh, Quantum Leap, like that. It's every what, what week. Is it, what is it like, you know, because you came from being on The Channeling Show and being a soap star, what is it like when you walk on it? I've heard different stories. You know, some actors say they walk on the set and everybody's so great, you know, and then suddenly they walk on the set and there's a bunch of pricks. I mean, what was, what yeah. was your, I mean, I mean, you know, some of them, they always go, it's always someone like the ones who are already established are always nice because the crew knows the show's not going anywhere. Like they say, if you guess on NCIS, those guys are set. That show will go on forever. You walk in, everyone's a well-oiled machine. People know they all have their pensions coming because they've been working on a show for 20 years. Was there, and we won't mention the shows, but was there any real nightmare experiences you had when you were a guest? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, I it's it, it's lonely. Uh, yeah, there was one show I had to say like it wasn't until and I was probably there for probably shooting for five days and it wasn't until the four the late at night on the fourth day that I kind of felt like people were a little warmer. But the the other thing I realized if you're a guest star, you're usually the person you you've murdered, you've killed somebody. Or you've done so. You're treated like you know this. You're treated like the outcast anyway. So you know you sit basically. And I've had that experience a couple of times, and I will not mention the show. But you sit kind of as the loneliest thing in the world, and I never really. I'm not somebody who ever gets lonely, or but you to sit in a trailer like for hours, with and not. You know, you can't go and knock on somebody else. It's not like, you know, being on a soap opera where you can jump from one room to another and sit in, you know, kibitz for 30 minutes and I'll be, you know, part of the energy and part of the, you know, you are isolated. You're kept isolated. Nobody wants to speak to you. Nobody wants to get to know you because they do that every week unless they happen to be a generous person who knows that it's is exactly what it is um so yeah i i have but then i've had great experiences i've had wonderful experiences you know where you i you you know and i did the nanny it was like fran was a big duke library fan who knew i was like and she was so excited that i was there just so excited like you know like you know she got to kiss duke labor and i was like oh please like don't make a fuss about it's like, <laughs> but other play, yeah. Um, but then, of course, Bold and Beautiful came along, which was, I was doing another revival of a play here in Hollywood, Equus, and I was playing a psychiatrist. And they had a role of a psychiatrist coming up, and uh, Frank Tobin, who was the Bold and Beautiful publicist and a wonderful, just a wonderful publicist, and, has become a great friend of mine. He brought Bradley Bell to see the play, which, of course, Dysart, Richard Dysart in Equus was the furthest thing from James Warwick, but I guess it was, you know, psychiatrist. And Brad sort of liked it, liked me, and I uh, got offered a contract. So I went there and had the best time. But it last, lasted for 18 years, I think, like uh, not, uh, 93, 2000, full-time, and then recurring until like three, four years ago. So, And now you won a Daytime Emmy for that, right? 
I did, yes. So what's that like? <laughs> do you still have it? Like, do, do you sit there and go, this is Miami? Because some people no. some people hide their rewards. Yeah, I, I interview a lot of musicians. Musicians always have their gold records up. They always, because I think, you know, they didn't make yeah. hardly any money off them because they're getting screwed by the record companies, but they always have them thing. But do you still have your daytime Emmy? Of course I do. Yeah, I, I have my soap opera digest awards. I have my daytime Emmys. I have my, uh, yeah, I have a lot of, I have one little one out here for like a, little short film I did only it's it's the only thing I have out yeah I yeah I, it's it's the it's funny I kind of I was nominated probably like six times I think but no I think I won on the third nomination um but even when I won the Emmy I even like even now I don't understand why how acting became a competitive sport. I just, I've never understood that. It's like nobody's playing the same role. Nobody's like, it's not like Star Search where they they all had the same scene to play. That I understand. But like for acting, it's all like so completely like, so the, whole, the competitiveness of it never appealed to me. The whole fever around it never really appealed to me. I loved, uh, in those days, I loved Emmy Week, which was in New York, and the Emmys were Radio City Music Hall, and the whole lead-out was just, you know, morning shows and, you know, cocktail parties in the evening and and uh, seeing this whole... I mean, there were 15 shows, or 14 or 15 shows at the time, so the community was huge, and it was, it was amazing because all the West Coast people went to the East Coast, and we'd all like mingle and see each other. And it was like, it was, it was wonderful. And there were the three networks all had like major shows and all the networks would host events and stuff. And people from, you know, like ABC would get the biggest party because they had most shows and people from CBS would try to like, Oh, can you invite me to your party? Can I come meet the CBS people? So it was just great, a great sort of, um, very the wonderful community. So uh, I loved that. Loved those days. Loved uh, all of that. But you know, now that the whole world is that whole world is down to four shows, it's a very different kind of. It's just a very different milieu and very. Um, so I like you know I I look forward to seeing all the the people that I worked with on Friday because I hadn't seen them for so long. Oh, apart from who have I seen? Vincent Azaria, I've seen. More recently, we did something, so I've I've seen him, but I haven't seen Bobby Eakes for a long time. Well, Adrian Franz. Now, you were on Old and Beautiful for a long time. When did all my children come in? Like, did you leave and do that, or because you were recurring? Like, you were you? You know, you're not allowed to be on two different soap operas at one time, are you? Uh, you yeah, you can now. I think, especially if you're recurring. I think there are people. I have friends now. Who are, I think doing. Days of Our Lives and Young and the Restless. Uh, no, I was not. I hadn't been on Bold and Beautiful for a, a little while, but I'd done Port Charles. Um, and my friend Julie Carruthers, who produced Port Charles, um, which was a spinoff of General Hospital, and then she went to all my children, and she asked if I'd come there and uh, do a year or maybe more, depending on how it worked out. And I uh, was, yes, of course, I'll come to New York. I didn't, had no idea that I was going to be playing probably the most unpopular character on daytime. 
on daytime television, the person who undid the very famous uh, Erica Kane abortion, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I always joked about it because I, when Julie was obviously telling me, all I could hear was New York for a year. And I was like, yes, yes. I'll take Manhattan. I'll take it. I'll take it. I didn't hear the part about taking the fetus until I had been there. And then I was like, good Lord, like, how is this going to play? Like, people are, <laughs> I, like, yes, yes, took the fetus, saved the fetus, implanted it in my wife. And <laughs> just people were furious like just furious now could you could you could you imagine if social media was so big then you would have been getting death threats like people would have been i mean you know people who don't understand before social media you know you you would bet you get off you would water cooler or you see something you go oh. but just yeah. think now especially because this country is so divided but people would have been like you would because the problem is a lot of times people can't separate in with the character and they think it's all the same. I mean, have you ever thought like what that character would have gone through now? Did you ever get hate mail for that character? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I, I probably didn't pay attention to it, but I think I was fortunate because the, I think, I think a lot of fans thought it was just a kind of crazy little phase I was going through Now, now <laughs> to play, to play those kind of, uh, um, but just to this totally warped, like 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 gynecologist. Like, were you there for the whole year, or, or did you leave? I was there for the year. I think a little more than a year, actually. Yeah. And then, and then you end up on days. They, how how did days come about? Because days once again. Um, I think I was back from. I think I was back from New York, probably for less than a year, and then I. Got a call saying Days of Our Lives are interested. Are you interested? And I don't. I. I think I, I obviously had to think about it because I. I didn't. I my first react. My I think my first response. I know my first response was I don't know if I have another soap opera in me. Actually, I don't really. So I took a couple of days to kind of think about it and. Then I think it got the whole deal got a little sweeter. And I was like, oh, yeah, why not? I'll. And I did that. It was a kind of, there were, it was a very interesting experience to step into kind of a, you know, an established show with an established cast and go in and play a brand new character and be you know, immediately sort of connected with, you know, well-loved characters and also to be a bad guy. And I think that was the thing that I was a little kind of cautious of. I, I, I didn't mind playing bad guys on primetime or playing bad guys in movies or, you know, because it's always fun to play the villain, but to go in every day and <laughs> almost, you know, the crews of hiss and boo as you walk <laughs> because, you know, just jokingly, of course, but to his and do with tongue in cheek, because you're messing with one of their well-loved, like, you know, like, like leading ladies or, so it was kind of, it was, it was, 
I had a lot of fun. It was very challenging, but I had a lot of fun. And it was the beginning of the hectic scheduling, which really forced me to up my game. And I learned a lot of things there that, uh, you know, they were doing like, that's when they started doing like two shows a day. And they were like, you know, one hour shows. And they had this wonderful lady who would come around, like, you know, you try to, in the makeup room, like, learn your dialogue with the, the, whoever, the people you were working with that day. You never had time. And they had the, and it was always timed perfectly with this wonderful lady who had been, I think, an actress on General Hospital, would come to your dressing room, like, 15 minutes before you were called to set, and would go through your stuff, and anything she recognized you were not grasping, she would give you great tips. And that's all you thought about. So you, it was a wonderful, it was great. I, I, I was very grateful for that, as were they, because I kind of didn't, you know, there was a lot of dialogue and and uh, it was great, great time. I loved working with Lauren Coslow. Um, we had a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was Days of Our Lives. And then Days of Our Lives ended and I got a call from General Hospital saying, do you want to come back as Duke? And I was like, wow, I never thought that would ever happen. But, there was a twist to it which I was not told until I was there for a little bit but um, then I was playing Duke with a, ma a Duke mask and it was somebody else playing him but... <laughs> now in all these soaps because you were a model and, and you know and I've seen you on Facebook you're a dapper I would say a dapper gentleman do you have any, have any input on what you wore? Like, because you were on for a while. Did you say, this is how I want to dress? This is what my character wants? Or did they just say, here you go. Here's what Duke's wearing this week. Or did you ever have input on what you would, the outfit you would wear? Uh, I think I always was, I think people had an idea of what I uh, would look best in. And I always sort of trusted that. Sometimes I think it was a little off, but most of the time I think it was right I was very lucky like they always kind of uh, you know uh, would always like I liked you know always would get great stuff and tailor it and um, you know sometimes yeah even but sometimes when it was being casual I questioned like big sort of floppy sweaters and stuff and I was like I don't, I don't know so much about this but they Kind of, they liked it. The audience seemed to like it, but I, I, no, I always liked when they kind of dressed me up. I, you know, I. The joke always was then, but apparently it's always been a joke in Hollywood. Like, have accent, have ascot. You know, so always like any chance they get, they put like an. And like, ah, what is this? I don't like this. <laughs> like, they're like, well, we like it. It's, it works. And I'm like, oh, I don't like it. I just don't like it. But, you know, like, you know, I think on Bold and Beautiful, I wore an ascot. I think on <laughs> Twin Peaks, of course, I was always wearing ascots, like, on, um, so, very, yeah, funny. Now, I noticed on your Instagram, you have a lot of pictures of flowers. Are, are you a gardener? Because it's something, I don't know, I, I don't know if you know the band English Beat, but Dave Wakeman, the lead singer, he's a big gardener. He always does, you know, he does, and he's from the U.K., are they your flowers, or just, or do you just see a nice flower when you do the picture? No, I see them as I, I I walk a lot, and I live in California, and I see a lot of flowers. And uh, I have a roof garden, but I kind of because of the heat, it's just very hard to kind of grow flowering things. There's best succulents and you know cactus and stuff, but I 
yeah, I see flowers. Like when I walk, I kind of like everything is, is I see flowers and photograph them. And even the supermarket or Trader Joe's, and I see flowers, I photograph them. So people like them. So I like it. I love them. I love flowers. Now, you've had a very long career. What, what would you say is the highlight of your career or life? Because you've been very successful. You've worked in an industry that, you know, a lot of people have a, don't work as much as you. You've done popular soaps. You've done groundbreaking sitcom. You did groundbreaking drama. So you've had a really good career. You did theater in London. But <coughs> looking back, what, what did you say is... What's been the highlight of your life? I mean, has it been your work, or what's been the highlight of your life? Well, it, I don't. I feel very fortunate. I just feel very fortunate. I, I've been lucky, I think, but um, I just. It's, I mean, I even enjoyed COVID. <laughs> I enjoyed staying home like more than I didn't realize it. You know, I got I did sort of get to a point like four or five years ago. I was you know it would be on stage doing a play, and be like not totally engrossed in the play, but I think I'd much rather be at home. And that's I started to feel that way. Then suddenly along came COVID, and we I had no choice. I had to stay at home, and I liked it. I liked it. I liked the, I liked the peace. I liked the, I liked the not having to deal with, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I liked not having to deal with a lot of personalities. I liked not having to deal with the politics of just making the day work. Um, I just liked, I liked that part. So I kind of, I'm liking this part as well too. Just, not the strike part, but the the just just seeing what's going on, seeing what's out there. Just I sort of uh, I didn't. I think during the whole shutdown, I sort of realised how introverted I am, and I thought that too, it was a little surprised. But I knew I was kind of had a was a little shy, but I am an introvert. A lot of people who are performers and actors are introverted, but you just put yourself out, and that takes a huge amount of energy. And I didn't realize that most of my life, all of my energy had gone into just making the effort to deal with, handle it. So I kind of liked the quietness. I liked liked it maybe a little too much. So the whole sort of opening up and wakening up part of has been interesting. So as you know, uh, was I'll see this week and when other things come up, just how I sort of deal with it. <laughs> I may just throw my hands in there and say, yeah, I'm I, I would rather be at home, I by have, the way. So. I have one final question for you. Tell me one of your best crazy fan experiences. Something that happened to you with a fan that you went and probably looked back and went, holy shit, I can't believe that just happened. I do remember, but it was it was... I was in New York setting up my apartment and uh, I walked over to Bed Bath & Beyond, which was on 6th Avenue, and I was in the, in the West Village on the water. And uh, Bed Bath & Beyond had two floors. They had the, You walked in, they had the first floor, and then they had the basement, which had stuff. And I went down to the basement and it was very quiet and there were 
two people working there and they sort of said, can we help you? And I said, well, no, I'm looking for it. And I told them, as we kind of were in a little huddle, somebody coming down, like you could put your shopping trolley on this kind of escalator thing that would bring your shopping trolley down and you came down the regular escalator. And this uh, woman put her trolley on the thing and she misjudged it. So the trolley kind of fell down on its side and everything tumbled out and came down the thing. And she came down the escalator and three of us looking and she looked at me and she said, doctor, doctor. And the two guys said, you know this person? <laughs> said, no, I play a doctor on television, but I don't know. And the, she made such a fuss and her stuff was, had fallen all over the place. And I, yeah, I always think of that as being just one of those, just, I've had many situations like that, but I've never had anybody slap me or uh, I had somebody throw a drink on me once, but that was just like, yeah, just, you know, people, uh, it's fans are good. My fans are, are, have been wonderful. Very supportive, and um, yeah, just well, you know. Well, thank you, Ian. This is great for having you on. I really love your stories. Uh, now, I know you're very active on social media. Is it you're on Twitter? You're on Instagram. Well, X. What's Twitter that? is not X. Oh, X. I know. I, I swear to God. I was just, my my phone changed. My wife didn't until the other day. She's like, oh, it's X now. I was try, I was going to tweet something the other night, and I, I couldn't find on my phone. I'm, I'm so used to that damn blue bird. Yeah. And I'm like, what? The, and, and the thing is, I'm saying, it's a shitty looking X. It's not even like something like, no, ooh. Good. No, it's I like, love the bird. Little bird was kind. Yeah. I like the whole idea that, but yeah. So no, I'm on, yeah, I'm on X or whatever it is. And. Also on threads, which I kind of, you know, was encouraged to cross over only, but I'm not quite sure how that's working. I keep getting notifications that some people are following me. So I, I thought automatically Instagram posts would be posted on threads, but not at the moment. Maybe that'll come uh, on Instagram also and Facebook. So I'm sort of on all of them. I, and I kind of, I'm pretty attentive to all of them and, responsive so people go follow Ian. go follow me at twitter at x uh that's at cooper talk at instagram and threads um at cooper talk one because someone took cooper talk and you can go to my facebook uh cooper talk radio also if you want to email me it's cooper at coopertalk.net remember i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guest don't forget drink your water eat your vegetables take your vitamins and i'll talk to you next time